Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I appreciate you finding us on the various podcast platforms, Google, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and wherever else you might find us on this the beautiful world of podcasts. We're back for another great week of Sports action. We're going to talk PGA. We're going to talk NBA playoffs. We're going to talk NHL playoffs. We're even going to talk a little NFL, but a little Buccaneer football, a little Aaron Rodgers. We have two great guests this week. First off, we are going to have TJ Reeves of the Three Dog Thursday podcast of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. He's also the sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in the second half of the podcast, we're going to have Peter Blake of the Sports Web and the Notoriety Sports Network. So, we have a full podcast episode for you this week. Let's bring in TJ Reeves, a regular here on the Powers on Sports podcast. TJ, welcome back. It is great to be back with you, and I, I am thrilled. Uh, it is not quite to the level of Hulk Hogan, what you going to do, brother? And the macho man, oh, yeah, coming together as tag team partners back in the day in pro wrestling but you and Peter Blake joining up, it excites me almost as, as much. Uh, because I don't know which one of you would come flying off the top rope with the elbow these days. I don't know how your knees are to be able to do that. I think Peter might be able to do that yes. if need be. But you guys are teaming up, and I am anxious, besides just talking with you, I'm anxious to hear you and, uh, and Peter Blake from the sports web chop it up about the Buccaneers. You're both passionate about everything Tampa Bay, but in particular the Bucks. You know... Uh, this town, say what you will about the Lightning and all their success, fantastic. The Rays and all their success. This town is a Buccaneer town in the Tampa yep. Bay, the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater area. And the defending champs rule the day. You can't talk about it enough. You and I go back and forth about that. I know you've got me on to talk a little golf, to talk a little Lightning advancing in the playoffs, sneak in a little Buccaneer talk. But you can't, you can't say enough everywhere I go right now. All the conversation is, can the Bucks do it again? Can they repeat? Blah, blah, blah. So right. I get that. I understand that. I, I fully understand that. And, and again, I'm looking forward to hearing what you and, and Peter have to say later on on the show. Let's get right to it. What do you think of the you know, Buck OTA started yesterday, this week here in Tampa? A big segment of the, of the heavyweights of the offense, Brady, Gronk, Godwin, are a quarter mile down the street practicing at Legends Field at, at the Yankee Complex and not at one buck place while the Buccaneers and Bruce Arians is having their OTAs. Just what are your just general thoughts about that concept? Or it's not just in Tampa, it's all around the league. Guys are doing that. What are your thoughts of that of that development? Well, they made it clear the Buccaneers as a team through the NFLPA, and they were one of about 20 teams that did this. We're not going to be at the facility. And so this should not be a surprise. I think it's it's fascinating because a year ago at this time, we had 
obviously the COVID-19 shutdown and they were having to try to practice in secrecy at Berkeley prep high school. And you had reporters looking through the bushes of the parking lot, looking through behind a tree, trying to get a photo. Then, Then we had like local news helicopters flying over to try to get a shot of them. So at least now it's a little more open what they're doing with these workouts um, it, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic. They want to get the work in. These guys have said, we will be there for the mandatory stuff when the time comes, especially for training camp and the preseason. And again, it's just one more thing to get excited about to get that work in. I have been on a bunch of interviews, so I'll give the answer here without you asking it, where people are saying, can the Buccaneers potentially improve, improve in 2021 on a Super Bowl year? And my answer to that is yes, I believe there are some areas of improvement that they can have. And the only way you're going to improve is to work more together, mesh more together, have a training camp and have a preseason, Jason. And so that's, that's some of what we're starting to see now here in late May. And it's amazing when you look at the calendar, we're literally eight weeks away from training camp. Training camp usually starts the last of a couple days of July. So we're literally two months away from training camp as we approach the Memorial day weekend. So it's, it's going to be here before we know it. Um, The one issue I would have, which I don't think it'll be a big issue with the bucks is, what if a guy gets hurt in one of these non-OTA workouts? What you know, we had the situation out in Denver with Jawan James. We had they had a ne- another receiver in Denver that got hurt working out on his own. God forbid it were to happen, but what if one of these guys that's an important cog of the Buccaneer offense gets hurt in one of these non-OTA workouts? Will the Buccaneers, you know, what will the Buccaneers position be then if one of these guys get hurt? And it's going to be up to every team to do that. And the NFL has warned. Everybody has warned the Players Association and warned everybody that your team will have the option if they want to decide to terminate your contract, right. et cetera. And they're trying to use whatever leverage they can. And, and I know uh, I, I'm compromised to the extent that I work for the Bucks and the Buccaneers radio network. I understand both sides of this. It's up, it's up to them to work it out. It's up to the players that are involved to take the risk because there were some veterans, including Ryan Jensen, And a couple of others, uh, Giovanni Bernard, the new wide receiver, they were at the OTAs in the facility because there you can meet with the coaches, you can be around them uh, in the meeting room, in those kind of settings. You can't do that if you're working out on your own, even in a group. The coaches can't be present for that, for example, just so that we're clear on that. So I am hopeful. I am optimistic as we tape the Powers on Sports podcast that this will get worked out and there will not be any injuries. We are kidding ourselves if across the league you don't think this is going to happen again in a private workout with somebody somewhere it already happened in denver like you mentioned and let's just hope it's not something significant for whoever it is and we don't want it to be any of the buccaneers good absolutely absolutely not it's just and again sounds like from all indications tom brady's kind of back from his knee surgery back back participating in these workouts a little bit antonio brown is finally officially signed He's, he apparently had a, a minor knee procedure in the last week or a couple of weeks, so he, but he's back in the mix. So we'll be very interested to see how, like you said, mandatory mini camps in a couple of weeks, that'll happen. And then, and then obviously they'll have a little time off until training camp. So um, that is your Buccaneer news as we, as we head into the, the, the podcast. Give me a quick thought on the Aaron Rodgers situation. June 1 obviously is a big day on that, in that front because of salary cap implications. What are your, do you have a, do you have a lean of what do you think is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? I don't think he's playing there anymore. I think it is fractured to the point where he is going to use retirement, hosting Jeopardy, being with Shailene Woodley, 
<laughs> or whatever is as leverage uh, if they don't want to trade him. And so now what do they do? And, uh, you know, the fact that he's lining up a golf match, match play outing with Bryson DeChambeau against Phil Mickelson and who Tom Brady before <laughs> he's worried about Packer OTAs is yet another signal of how bad and how fractured this is. And you're right. When we come off of Memorial Day here, this may be crazy because you could see a trade for Julio Jones. You didn't ask me about that situation, but he may be gone yep. to another team from the Falcons because you get salary cap relief after June 1st. Uh, we won't get into all of the gory details, but right. essentially you can split the money on this year's cap and next year's cap, the dead money that you owe. And so that may affect a Julio Jones trade. It might affect an Aaron Rodgers trade. It might affect a Russell Wilson trade. Right. I've talked to a couple of people in Seattle and that situation is still on the front burner and still an issue where he felt disrespected by Pete Carroll, et cetera, et cetera. Would they really trade him as popular a player as he is in the Pacific Northwest? It might happen. We might see all three of those guys on new teams, Julio Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Then we might see none of them. They might all smooth it over. But if you're asking me, if I had to bet my automobile, has Aaron Rodgers played his last game for the Packers, yes or no? My bet would be yes. He's played wow. his last game in Green Bay. Wow. 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 That, that's again. And again, the two, two, two teams to be on the lookout for if they do make a trade, I would say the Denver Broncos and then our old friend, Mr. John Gruden out in Las Vegas, Ooh. because, because they have an oh. asset they could send back to green Bay and Derek Carr who could come in and play if Jordan love, who apparently is not ready is still not ready. In that's two a great months. point. And, and uh, that would be a sexy trade if that was the case. And, and, and another Buccaneer exec, John Lynch, what if they dealt with San Francisco and Rogers goes back to Northern California, where he's from, right. played junior college football in Northern California and for the Cal bears in Northern California. How about if, this? Uh, if I mean, the 49ers would be an intriguing one and Garoppolo would go the other way to green Bay. Maybe I don't know, but how and how wild would it be? You're going to have Peter on. I was talking about this with Peter. You're probably going to kick this around on the own on your own powers on sports podcast. If this works out that Rodgers doesn't play anymore for Green Bay, then that means in these playoffs, the 2020 season, the January 21 playoffs, the Bucs will have played and beaten the New Orleans Saints and retired Drew Brees. <laughs> and the following week will have played Aaron Rodgers, beaten the Packers, and it very well might be Rodgers' final game in Green Bay. Talking about Talk about adding to the lore of what is already an amazing accomplishment and an amazing thing that the Bucks did. How crazy, I put that to you, Jason Powers. How crazy is that to contemplate? That is, it it's insane to think that, you know, it's, 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 it's baffling. It's unbelievable. It was funny how Aaron Rodgers came out in his Kenny Main interview and, and applauded uh, and praised everybody in the organization, but two people, everybody, the players, the, the equipment people, the fans, but the two names you didn't mention the GM and the president. Yeah. Uh, I do not think they will be having Christmas uh, or Thanksgiving together. In, All right. in any one, future more, year. One, more, one more Buccaneer point. We'll get at, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the PGA. Just your quick thoughts on the schedule. What's your, what's going to be your favorite. I know you're, you've got that Sunday night, October 3rd heading to Foxborough on your calendar, my man. What is that? All is I'm going to say favorite? to you, all I'm going to say to you is what I've said to everybody else. I don't have tickets to the open. 
opening game with the Cowboys. Stop, everybody. St- I, I'm not Ticketmaster. I do not, and I'm not saying you're asking me. I'm saying I'm letting you help me get the word out. I yes. do not have tickets for you, for you collectively, the audience or anybody hearing this for the Cowboys game. And the second thing is for Brady's return to New England. We think it's going to be a tough ticket for the opener with the Cowboys or that the Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium with only 25,000 fans was a tough ticket. That is going to be mayhem trying to get to Gillette Stadium and be in there for that game on Sunday night football as it stands. And I'm going to tee you one up. Make sure you ask that question to Peter Blake. Make sure you ask about October 3rd, Sunday night football, and he's going to smile and answer you back uh, on that. Because uh, we were joking on his show about that, and it, it has to do with a cake and candles and his favorite team, the Buccaneers. So I'm just, okay. I'm, uh, if you can connect the dots there gotcha. on that one, that uh, that Peter Blake was lobbying. I'm like, are you want, are you, are you like now wanting me to take you like in my in my carry on <laughs> luggage to Foxborough uh, here to get you into that game? Uh, it is gonna. Be, I saw somewhere where it's already on the secondary market, like five thousand dollars just to get in per ticket for that that game in New England. If if the tickets are even available. That and you game will be, and you will be remember, right there on the sidelines. Yeah, uh, with objects being thrown at me and who knows what else. But remember, they did not even have any fans at a single game last year. Right. And so now they come back and like the third game, the third home game or the second home game is going to be Tom Brady coming back in there. And now, that and now, with, all the, now with all the speculation that uh, Donald Trump was involved in Spygate, <laughs> Trump might be in the box with, with Robert Kraft that night. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't know how much your audience knows or cares, oh, but apparently the investigation into Spygate from back 14 years ago in a shocking development has <laughs> led to Donald Trump, the former president, and bribery of the proper people to try to get rid of the evidence, destroy the evidence That's in the Spygate right. thing. It was always suspicious, by the way, that the NFL burned all of the Patriots tapes and all of the stuff. And, and what they claimed was they wanted no one else to be able to get an advantage from that. But it, it, it made me suspicious at the time and still do. Was there more going on with what they were videotaping and what they were doing than the NFL wanted all of us to know while we're on that subject? And one of the things was, did they have evidence? Because this later came up. Remember in the um, in the aftermath of it, they had a former employee who was a video guy. Right. And he said, I videotaped the St. Louis Rams walkthrough at the Super Bowl. He incriminated himself. He said, I did it. And I gave them the practice tape. I videotaped them. We further know these are facts, not TJ's opinion, not Jason's opinion. We further know that Josh McDaniels got caught as the head coach of the Broncos videotaping the 49ers walkthrough at their London game. They were taping their practice, not taping coaches with signals and trying to match it up to the plays and the defense or the offense, but actually taping their practice. That is far more egregious and more horrible right? in terms of Spygate. So I'm just putting it out there. Is it that hard to fathom that some of what they destroyed is the Patriots had been taping people's practices or maybe even dare I say 
taping in the visiting locker room when they're going over game plan stuff? Was there far more? I love a good conspiracy, Jason <laughs> Powers. I always love a good conspiracy. Was there far more going on here than we ever knew? And Donald Trump is in the middle of it, potentially bribing people to destroy yeah. the evidence and get rid of it back in 2007 before he's ever the president. Yep. Uh, it's crazy. It, this whole thing is crazy. crazy. All right. That that's uh, I'm with you. It's, <laughs> it's and then and then we suspend Tom Brady for a couple pounds of air in the football of all things. Right. Crazy. Right. Crazy. Crazy. All right. You're listening to TJ Reeves of the Three Dog Thirsty Podcast, Big Fight Weekend Podcast. He's going to be talking NBA playoffs, hockey, all the good stuff going on in the world of sports this week on the Three Dog Thursday podcast that'll be coming out uh, later this week as well. Let's transition to the PGA where we had history. TJ's got a lot of history with the PGA Tour Radio with SiriusXM, so we're going to get his great opinion on that. One Phil Mickelson comes from the, from the depths of despair, hasn't been a factor in years. Every once in a while, have a good round. He comes from the absolute depths at over 200 to 1 to win the PGA Championship. I don't think we can overemphasize enough, and you're a contemporary of mine. I am now 51 years yeah. old, and Phil is about to join me as a 51-year-old. Let's hear it for the 50-year-olds that you're able to beat the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings. Whenever that can happen, I love that. Um this this was something else, and I've had the privilege to do a lot of different things, including work on PGA Tour Radio and call live golf shots of Phil Mickelson's and interview him after the round. I'll tell you a quick story. I worked uh, in 2009. I worked the tournament in Charlotte that, that was then known as the Quail Hollow Championship. It's now known as the Wells Fargo. That's the sponsor, Quail Hollow Golf Club yep. in Charlotte. And on the, I believe it was the Friday second round, I got to walk and call every shot and interview some guy named Tiger Woods. That's, that's some kind of professional thrill to get to do that. The next day, I was assigned to walk and call the golf shots and interview when it was over Phil Mickelson. And so when that was done, I was contacting as many people as I could to say, I should walk off, shouldn't I? I should retire, drop the mic. <laughs> How does it get any better than doing that back-to-back -back days? Now, lo and behold, I would have missed a Buccaneers Super Bowl win at Raymond James Stadium 12 years later <laughs> um, with Tom Brady. Who knew? But that was a really cool thing to do. So I've, I've had the privilege to do a lot of different stuff, including work on PGA Tour Radio and be around these guys. And what can you say about Lefty? And, and what an amazing situation to be in, like you mentioned, where he hadn't basically, he hadn't won a PGA Tour event since March of 2018, three years. He had won a couple of Champions Tour events. Yeah. But again, the course setups are, are, are different. The courses are shorter. Uh, on the on the champions tour it's easier to win this was a major championship at nearly eight thousand yards for those of you that Long, don't follow longest, golf longest course ever yes and for those of you that don't follow golf that's everything distance is everything and for a 50 year old to compete with the younger guys and hit it as far and hang in there and i i put this now in your court i mean we know this was a tremendous accomplishment the oldest major winner ever 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 is this a bigger deal than Jack Nicholas winning the 86 Masters at 46 years of age? Is it a bigger deal than Tiger Woods coming back from injury two years ago to win the Masters at 43 years of age? Where do you rank it, Mr. Powers on Sports Podcast? I would, I mean, I think Nicholas, because Nicholas is the all time greatest of all time, is probably going to stay at number one. 
But I think Tiger and Phillip are probably a pretty dead heat at number two. Maybe Tiger has a little bit of an advantage because, like you said, the storyline of all the off-course stuff, the injuries, right. the you know, the scandal, maybe but, that. But Phil is seven and a half years older than Tiger Woods. True. He's 50, not Absolutely. 43, to Absolutely. summon it. And the argument can also be made, you play the same holes, you know all the shots at Augusta. Correct. And this was a tougher assignment at a longer course that you don't play all the time. There's not a regular tour event at Kiwa Island at the ocean course where they played. So I realize it could be blasphemy to go against Jack, the bear. No, I get and, it. But this was amazing. And look, we're still talking about Nicholas and that 86 masters 35 years yep. later. We're going to talk about what Phil did. God willing, if we're all still alive, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now. It's incredible what what we just witnessed as a near 51-year-old, Jason. And the impressive part about Mickelson was he's he was in the mix for three straight days. It's not like he shot a 63 and, you know, had one great round. He was in the mix Friday. He had to stay in the mix Saturday. And then he stared down the biggest bully of them all, even though he wasn't fully healthy, Brooks Kepka on Sunday, who's kind of this modern-day modern, modern day era bully. He stared him down Sunday and, and waxed him off Sunday and survived. Uh, you can't say enough uh, about the, the fact that there were young guns all over the board. I mean, when you consider that Dustin Johnson didn't make the cut and Rory McIlroy barely made the cut and was no factor, and Jordan Spieth, who's been playing well, was no factor in this tournament, and they were all playing the same course right. uh, in the wind and in, in the length, and Phil just outdueled them, and, and we're going to talk about this for a long time. You did not have to be a golf fan to no. appreciate that, and you saw on the ratings – they averaged right around six and a half million viewers, which is fantastic. But at the end, on the final hole and for the interview in the seven Eastern time hour, 13.1 million had tuned in. That means millions of regular casual sports fans gravitated to Phil Mickelson and this moment and bravo. And say what you want. We can say what we want about Tiger. Phil is the people's champion. People love Phil Mickelson. You know, because of his, because of his wild, I mean, he, he's, he, they call him Phil the Thrill because he's, he can be all over the place. He can get out of trouble. His short game is so good. He, he's a risk taker like most of us, you and I, that chop, like to chop it up. He, he don't care. He'll take a risk. That's the thing that I think the fans love about Phil that they didn't love about Tiger early in his career because he'd always shake hands. He'd sign autographs. He'd do sure. interviews with guys like you where Tiger was a little more secluded and very standoffish a lot of times. And I, I love the story where Brooks Kepka told it that he was at Augusta like in the late 90s as an eight-year-old and was trying to get Phil's autograph in the parking lot. Did you see this story? I did He not. came up to Phil as a kid, as like a third grader, and Phil denied him the autograph and said, no, can't do it, sorry. And and so Kepka kind of playfully, but maybe trying to needle him before Sunday's final round had made mention of that story. Okay. And Phil had the best comeback and the best sense of humor, which is somewhat serious. Uh, somewhat kidding, somewhat self-deprecating or whatever, where he said, hey, he said, you know, I, I know Brooks, you know, wanted to have his autograph, but, you know, he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. So I have that <laughs> over him. No kids, no kids allowed, no autographs allowed. So uh, again, uh, this, uh, I realize not everybody's a golf fan, oh. but this is, this is one of those things when you see it, uh, it's like the 1980 Olympic hockey team winning, which we're talking about 40 years later, right? You didn't have to be a hockey fan to understood to understand what that meant 
and and to appreciate them winning that gold medal. This is kind of the same thing uh, when you're watching somebody summon it on a weekend like he did at nearly 51 years old. And the cool thing is, is he he was very open about what he had to do to make this happen. He had to get in better shape. Yep. He had to he had to concentrate more on his mental part of his game and his physical and the swing and all that. But very co- very cognizant of his concentration levels and all that because that was the part would get him in trouble he would shoot a good round and then the next day would shoot 75 let's bring it back to the tournament here the valspar championship all right the second day phil's in contention to maybe make the cut he's right at the cut line he's made a couple of great shots and a couple of birdies over at innisbrook from where we live and where, where you host this podcast so he is now uh right on the cut line and has a chance to play the weekend. He's actually played well in some difficult conditions those first couple of days. He comes to the 18th hole like you're talking about. And as my friend who described it that was on the 18th fairway with everybody else, he blew it so wide to the right that he hit it onto US 19 <laughs> over in Palm Harbor. And he makes double bogey and misses the cut. Yep. And, the, and the consensus was, unfortunately, this is forever Phil. And we now are just going to have to accept that he's going to have bad holes and he's going to throw rounds away at the very end. And you kept waiting and wondering, is that, what, is that what's going to happen here on Sunday while well, he's up by one, up by two? Is he going to throw it away? And we got one more heartbreak. So I am thrilled for him that he finished yep. it off. He is one of the all-time greats. I mean, when you contemplate that Tigers won 15 majors, Phil has won six majors and you're talking worldwide wins. Tigers got like 82 or 83 of them. And Phil's got 55 of them. Now two guys from the same era that have won 130 plus golf tournaments and 21 combined majors. Uh, You never say never, but we're not likely to see something like that again in the next 10 years, the next 25 years, two players from the same era. It's just, it's neat to enjoy it one more time. Mickelson won his first tournament as a, as what a sophomore at Arizona state or junior (laughs) as an amateur 91. Do you want another story while we digress? Bring it. Do you want another story on a powers on sports podcast? I don't know how well publicized this has been. I don't know uh, if I've talked about this on another podcast, or another outlet since I learned of this story. Buddy of mine, who is now 91 years young, his name is Tom Jewell, like the Jewel of the Nile. Uh, Tom Jewell was the director of the former J.C. Penny Golf Classic, which is the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour, playing together team event at Innisbrook. That's what the Valspar, the current tournament, used to be. It used to be right. a team male-female golf tournament. So Tom Jewell, who, who I nicknamed, and his nickname is the Golf Nut because he just knows everything about golf, loves the game, has collected like 5,000 golf balls, like 1,000 scorecards from different golf courses that he's played. It's incredible. He's gotten to play Augusta. He's gotten to play St. Andrews. Uh, he was the director of this golf tournament, the PGA and the LPGA, for, I believe, like 12 to 13 years. He was the executive director, something like that. He told me this story um, probably – Christmas time. And so then we talked about it again uh, recently in the last few weeks. But now it's appropriate to bring it up. Phil Mickelson had won that tournament as an amateur in 1991 while at Arizona State. He is the last amateur to win a PGA Tour event. Again, as a 20 year old, he won a PGA Tour event. This is pre Tiger Woods. This is kind of the end of Jack Nicklaus, the end of, uh, of that era of golf, kind of had a little leeway. So Phil bursts on the scene. 
So Phil wants to play in the mixed team event. And this is okay. So this is the days where we don't have text messages, folks. We don't have email. This is 1991. The internet is, is not even in existence. The old by the telephone. Way. The old telephone. telephone. All right. But in this case, sophomore Phil Mickelson from Arizona State writes a handwritten letter to the tournament director, Tom Jewell, that he still has, by the way. He's wow. kept it from Phil Mickelson. It's about a four-paragraph letter. Dear Mr. Jewell, here's who I am. I have recently won the tournament in Phoenix. I am a junior, a sophomore junior at Arizona State. And I would love to play in your mixed team event. And I would love to play with Vicki Getz. That's her name, Vicki Getz, who that year had won the U.S. Women's Amateur, not a professional yet. Vicki Getz went on to have an LPGA Tour career and win on the LPGA Tour back in the back in the 90s, back in the early 2000s. So he handwrites Tom Jewell a letter. I would love to play in your tournament, and I would love to play with Vicky Getz as two amateurs in your tournament. Please let us know. So as Tom said, I didn't have Phil Mickelson's phone number. He didn't put his phone number on the thing, <laughs> so I handwrote him back with a stamp and mailed it to him wow. and told him I would check with the tour and check with Dean Beeman, the commissioner. It was his decision. He says, I pick up the phone and I call Dean Beeman. So we're outing Dean Beeman here. Uh, he says, I called Dean Beeman, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, and I said, listen, I've gotten a letter from the amateur that won your event in Tucson from Phil Mickelson, and he is saying he would love an exemption to be able to play with Vicky Getz, the U.S. women's amateur champion, in the mixed team event in the J.C. Penney Classic, right here in the Tampa Bay area where you host this podcast. Dean Beeman's response, according to Tom Jewell, this is professional golf. This is the professional golf tour. No one wants to see amateurs at a PGA <laughs> tour event. Goodbye. God. There's the answer that Tom Jewell had to give to Phil Mickelson. How about that story for the nice. powers on sports podcast That's that Phil one. was trying to play here in Tampa Bay as an amateur. And, and the tour didn't know the tour didn't know who they were saying no to, did they? They didn't now have any idea. People didn't like Dean Beeman as a commissioner of the PGA Tour. <laughs> There's another reason. There's yeah. another reason why that might be the case. But I mean, to think about that now, to think about who you were saying no to. I mean, the perfect example. I'm digressing just one more second. Tiger Woods used to write Bob Hope, not the tournament director. He used to write Bob Hope. As a teenager, Mr. Hope, would you please let me play in your tournament? I would love to play in your tournament. He was a junior amateur champion. He was an up-and-coming golfer in California. He wrote Bob Hope like four years in a row, and they rejected him four years in a row. Wow. You want to know why Tiger Woods has never once and will never play the old Bob Hope, that tournament uh, now. There you go. See if you can connect the dots. When they were begging him to play years ago, I wouldn't be surprised if Tiger still had copies of those letters You're to right. show them and to hold up and say, this is why I'm not playing your tournament. You just got to be careful with how you deal with that. You're right. How about Absolutely. these stories on the Powers on Sports podcast? I'm here for you, brother. I'm you here. are the man. You are the man with the plan. All right, last thing, we'll get you out of here. Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, some, <laughs> some Golf Channel leaked beef. Your oh. thoughts? Well, the first thing is when I saw that, I have been in that position where you are interviewing whomever it is on the tour, 
and they're annoyed about something, they're mad about something, and they lose their train of thought. It's right after their round. Yep. Maybe they're frustrated, whatever. I've been right there. And I've been there in the Buccaneer locker room with yep. guys that don't want to talk to you, get mad, lose their train of thought, start cursing, which is always dangerous with the hot mic, with the live mic. <laughs> so I've been there. And so there's two or three things. The first thing is it's really unfair, and I, I am uh, surprised there hasn't been an apology, at least I haven't seen it from the Golf Channel, about right. that leaking out, because that's not supposed to be there. What that is is somebody was rolling on the raw feed and has the outtakes that didn't go on the air, and they have it archived somewhere from last Saturday. And they decided just to pull it out and put it on the internet. And it shouldn't be too hard to find who had access to that and who, who got it to that person's Twitter account to get it out there and everywhere, because that's an embarrassing thing for Bryson DeChambeau. It is. It's an embarrassing thing for Brooks Kepka. It's an embarrassing thing for the PGA tour. I'm sure they were not happy. I don't know how much Kepka cares though, but he doesn't, but it, here's another point that's been brought up to me by a couple of people in and around the PGA tour and whatever was Brooks Kepka maybe doing that because he's speaking for so many other guys on the tour that can't stand DeShambo and he doesn't care what the heat is or the ramifications are if he's doing that and speaking that. And part of the annoyance, I, I know this, is DeShambo was off to the side talking during the interview, the Golf Channel outtake that they didn't use. And the next thing is he walked behind the interview that he knew what was going on with his metal spikes clicking, click, click, still click. talking, and that's what annoyed Kepka to no end. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm standing here doing. You see what I'm standing here doing. And you wouldn't do that while I was lining up a shot. Right. What are, what are you doing after the round? So Kepka may, what do you think of that? Jason powers? He may have been speaking for some other tour players oh, yeah. on can't stand this guy. What is with this guy? There, um, there's no doubt that in the last 18 months, Bryson DeChambeau with all of his, antics with all of his way he practices and you always see him out on the range flexing and, and all that stuff he, he's definitely a polarizing figure on that tour as you would know yes. being out there and those guys have strong opinions those golfers they oh, don't yeah. like guys that kind of get out of line and are doing such wild and crazy things on the side it, it bothers people and great and granted Kepka's not the most liked guy on that tour either correct but you know. The other thing is he's changed his body and there's great suspicion that that might be performance enhancing or whatever. There's some resentment. Yeah. He's getting all the attention when he may, may have used some stuff that's helping him be that. Who knows? There's always right. going to be that suspicion there. When you put on 25 or 30 pounds of muscle, like what he's done and changed your physique and changed your swing, it reminds people of Barry Bonds. Right. You were on the you were on the podcast, I think, with me at one point when we were talking about this. Yeah. That remi it reminds, I think Eric Erlingson was the one talking about it from the Lightning Insider, that it reminds you of, uh, of Barry Bonds. But anyway... Um, so you, you've got that resentment and now you've got DeShambo part of this July made for TV match where he's playing with Aaron Rodgers. Is that the ultimate heel tag team yes. or what right now? The Packer fans don't know what to think about Aaron Rodgers. DeShambo's got all this anti-heat on him. I'm going to go old school wrestling. This is like Nikolai Volkov and the Iron <laughs> Sheik from the WWF as a tag team against Phil and Tom Brady playing in Montana of all places that they're going to go play this match, play golf. I keep saying, why can't we have this next week? Why do we have to wait till July? But Tom's got to go. Tom's got to go throw at Yankee at, at the Yankee complex next week. EJ, <laughs> and, the, and the golfers got to play in the U S open. So I yeah. get that, but still, 
I can't wait to see that match play and Tom Brady just owning Bryson DeChambeau and, and Aaron Rodgers on the internet on Wednesday and Thursday with the memes and the posts. Yeah. How beautiful. So many times, can we just say this one more time? So many times these guys say nothing and they don't want to do anything. You couldn't get Tiger Woods to ever say anything or make right. fun of anybody publicly. You couldn't get Michael Jordan to do it. You, you very rarely would find athletes that would want Phil Mickelson's not going to make fun of other people basically publicly. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but rarely. So this is good to see true feelings in the back and forth. This is good. The this beef. is what we want. And you need a heel. You need a bad guy. And DeShambo's the bad guy. And, and the crazy thing is, I didn't know this, Kepka and Bryson have never played together on the tour in a, in a pairing. That's They've amazing. They've never been paired together. And now if they do at the U.S. Open. They ought to put them together at the open. I'm with you. But because of scores, they may get paired at some point. And if they do, oh, you talk about uh, icy stare downs and and no no communication and no nothing. Yep. Um, That's one of those two where, where fans may not know this and understand this, but you saw this at the end of the PGA Championship if you were watching. When they went in that scoring tent, at Kiwa Island, you keep your uh, your opponent's score. Right. All right. You keep his score. He keeps your score. And if you saw it, Brooks and Phil exchanged scorecards. Yep. Is it so hostile between DeChambeau and Kepka <laughs> that even if they're keeping the other person's card, that they won't even hand it to him? That maybe they just lay it on the ground, throw yep. it on the ground. You can pick it up from there. That's how bad this is. Like Vince McMahon and the wrestling. With yes. DeChambeau, you got to have some of this, my friend. Absolutely, absolutely. Great job, TJ. Tell the audience where we can find you on social media. Hey, Three Dog Thursday podcast is out. You can find that at Three Dog Thursday, wherever you get podcasts. We also talk some boxing. We've got the Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury yes. fight on the horizon. Floyd Mayweather, by the way, is fighting an exhibition fight against a YouTuber, Logan Paul, next, <laughs> next Sunday night in Miami, June 6th, at the time you're hearing this podcast, June 6th in Miami. Uh, Floyd Mayweather's fight. So we talk boxing and much more on Big Fight Weekend. Boxing's making a bit of a comeback. Manny Pacquiao's going to fight later in the summer. So we're anxious about that. But yeah, find Three Dog Thursday. More on the NBA playoffs. More on the Lightning and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Three Dog Thursday is that podcast. And you keep knocking them dead with your podcast here. And have a blast with Peter Blake coming up as well. I got one more thing for you before we get out of here. You're, you got twin daughters. Yes. School, as we're recording this, school is in the final <laughs> waning moments of school. Yes. The yes. missus is the teacher. She's going to yes. be off. Yes. What do you got planned for Memorial Day weekend in the summer in the in the Reeves household? So first of all, we're gonna we're gonna have that. Is it isn't it Motley Crue schools out for summer? We're gonna bl- have that blaring on a speaker. And I will reveal this on the Powers on Sports podcast. I revealed this with our buddy TC Martin in Las Vegas. It is my 25th wedding anniversary this month of May. I my did wife, see a picture. Allegedly, I saw a picture on Facebook. You saw that picture. <laughs> 25 years ago, she said, I will. The, 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 the preacher said, will you? And we said, I will. We did not say I do. She said, I will 25 years ago. And she still has. She still hasn't said I won't. So 25 <laughs> years of marriage. The twins are about to be teenagers. My twin daughters, Riley and Abby, are about to be teenagers. We are headed to Las Vegas for the anniversary and the turning of 13 years old at the end of June. Viva Las Vegas. My my wife and I have been, the twins have never seen anything like this. And could it be, could it be if the Vegas Golden Knights can stay alive and the lightning can stay alive and we get a lightning hockey Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup 
and the Reeves crew is rolling into the desert while that is going on. More updates to follow. So there that's what's go. going on late June for the Reeves. Thank you for the plug. There you go. There you go. I know the missus is ready to be school to be done. They'll sleep in a little bit. She was done two weeks ago. She was ready for it to be done in like March, but God love. And let's, let me say this publicly. Thank you to the governor, Ron DeSantis. I don't care what your political affiliation is. The man came out yesterday and said for all the educators and your sister is an educator yes. as well yes. for all of the administrators and all of the educators, all the teachers, you're going to get a thousand dollar bonus. That is not everything, but those are things that mean a ton to those that have been around your children, around your teenagers right. for the entire year in a pandemic year. Bravo to the governor and the state of Florida, because this state opened up the schools back in September, right. August and September. And I think that is a great gesture. Uh, and so now dinner is on your sister. And my wife. wife can cut, and my <laughs> wife can cut a little money our way when we go on the Vegas trip because they got a <laughs> bonus from the governor. We love this at the end of the year. Bravo! I agree. I agree. It's been people don't realize the strain and stress on these teachers oh. to have to teach online in class, just deal with all the balancing act they've had to deal with all year long, and not and everybody, the administrators, the janitors, right. everybody, the school system has had a really, really, really And it's great that somebody stood up at the state level and said, you are important to us. Yes. Here is something that we can say thank you and show you you're important to us. I love it. Great. I love it at the end of the school year. Great stuff, Jason Powell. Great way to end the spot. Appreciate it, TJ. Have a great weekend with the kiddos and the misses. <laughs> and hang around, folks. We'll be right back with Peter Blake on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash-out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you finding us, Jason Powers. We got our second half of our podcast. We appreciate the, the, the conversation with TJ Reeves. We talked a little PGA championship with Phil Mickelson's great run to win another major at 51 years old. We talked the Brooks Kepka, uh, Bryson DeChambeau controversy. And now I'm very pleased to bring in one Peter Blake making his debut on the Powers on Sports podcast. Peter is the host of the Evolution of Sports Talk, the Sports Web on the Sports Notoriety Network, the I Love St. Pete platform. He does a live stream show on Fridays. He also does a show on Monday nights as well. So, Peter, welcome back to the uh, Powers on Sports podcast, making your debut. Absolutely. It's good to be here. Seeing as uh, you've been on my show a couple of times, it was time for me to kind of dip in on your show and see what you got going on, man. Happy, uh, happy days here. Happy nights here. Awesome, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Why don't you give the audience a quick little uh, 
recap of what the Notoriety Sports Network is and the I Love St. Pete platform to, to uh, market your show a little bit and tell us tell us about how we can find you. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the sports web, the evolution of sports talk television. It's on the Notoriety Sports Network on Monday and Friday nights at 9 o'clock. A 25,000 following on there across the nation. You know, former football players joining up on this network. You have Houston, you have Boston, you have Philadelphia. And then on the other platform locally, it's I Love St. Pete with a 77,000 following. So a lot of great things here for the uh, sports web, the evolution of sports talk television. And those, for those of you guys that are listening to us around the country and around the world, potentially, St. Petersburg, Florida is where we're talking with the I Love St. Pete. Peter is based in Tampa along in the St. Pete Clearwater areas. I'm over here in Tampa. So we we're within 20, 25 minute drive of each other. Like I said, I was uh, I had the pleasure to be on Peter's show a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. And we're glad that we were able to get you to come on the, the podcast, man. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And I tell you right now, I'm in the Clearwater area, but the story has to be right now just happened. The Tampa Bay Lightning closing out the Florida Panthers in game six, four to nothing. And this series in itself has been a challenge for this Lightning team, of course, trying to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. And uh, they were tough, uh, but the Lightning get it done tonight. I know you like to watch the Lightning, and I know there's a lot of people here that, you know, whether you're a Bucks fan, whether you're a Rays fan, you love the Tampa Bay Lightning and what they're doing over there. Absolutely. Yeah, we're recording this podcast right after the Lightning closed out the Florida Panthers in six games here in Tampa. A bloodbath. We'll get to, well, let's start with the NHL while we're at it. A bloodbath of a series it was between the Lightning and the and the Panthers. Very, very aggressive. A lot of a lot of physical play. You had some couple cheap shots in game four by the Lightning. I mean by the Panthers late in that game against Kucherov and Sergachev. The Lightning come back lose game five, give credit to the Florida Panthers for holding home ice in game five, avoiding elimination. But the one thing I got to love, I love about this lightning team and you and I both know this from being here, the championship medal of this lightning team in a game, they got to have game five. Sure. You want to close them out in five games, but tonight was the, was kind of, to me, the lightning's game. They really wanted to lay the wood to the Panthers and put them away. You didn't want to go back to Florida for a game seven. So what a job of that lightning defense and Vasilevsky in the nets. Yeah. I mean, Vasilevsky has been the story, Jason. He really has all year long. It seems like he could be the MVP, not only of this lightning team, but of the NHL, the way he plays his second playoff shutout the eight time this team in franchise history has moved on to the second round of the Stanley cup playoffs. So just impressive tonight. People will look at the statistics and they'll say the Panthers outshot them. But really, uh, from the first period on, uh, Patrick Maroon, uh, Pat Maroon, excuse me, really set the tone with the first goal. And then after that, it was complete domination by this Lightning team, keeping the puck in the Panthers zone all night long. They just had no chance. The effort was there. And look, the Lightning are very fortunate, right? Because they get back their superstars and a Kucherov and a Stamkos which made all the difference in the world here, Jason, on their power play because they're so skilled. And then on top of it, they were fortunate not to have Kucherov hurt in that game four because certainly there were a lot of cheap shots, uh, you know, put on to the Lightning from the Panthers. That's the, you know, kind of style they play. So 
Uh, good thing that the Lightning didn't have any severe injuries uh, going into the second round. And ultimately, the difference in this series was goaltending. That's what makes the Lightning a team that can repeat as champions. Vasilevsky in the Nets. Florida, I think Florida made history in the playoffs. They started three different goalies for at least two games in a series. I don't think that's ever been done in the NHL playoffs. They were three deep at goalie. And each of them started two different games, which is even crazier to think about, and it only went six games. I mean, to me, the difference is the goaltending. The Lightning score in the first shot of, of the last two games. They score a goal in the first shot of each game in game five and game six. But the ability to, to rely on Vasilevsky to shut the door when the defense is, you know, we don't have the best defense in the league. But what I do like is when it's, when it's crunch time, the defense tends to lock down a little bit better. They concentrate a little more. They, they check. They finish their shifts appropriately. And to me, that's the kind of uh, level of play you got to have in these must-win kind of games to repeat as, as Stanley Cup champions. I really do. I mean, 29 saves tonight by Vasilevsky. He was standing on his head. And throughout this series, and once again, throughout the season, he has been uh, the most consistent part of this Lightning team. So once again, they're moving on. And you know, we'll see who they play in that second round coming up. It's uh, it's going to be very interesting. Maybe another physical team, possibly Carolina. Uh, and that's I, been a great series. That Carolina-Nashville series has been – they've gone to three straight overtime games. I watched a good bit of that game last night, game five in Carolina. They won in overtime. They go back to game six. It's going to be Thursday night in Nashville. I wouldn't be shocked if, that, if that's a seven-game series one bit. So the Lightning will play the winner of that game. I want to get to a couple things. We had, we also had tonight the Islanders knock out the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games. What I want to get your thought of from an NHL, just a holistic view of the NHL. They've lost a lot of their superstars here in the first round. Connor McDavid gets swept in Edmonton. You got Ovechkin gets beat pretty easily in Washington. You got Sidney Crosby's now out in Pittsburgh. Just your thoughts of the lack of star power being eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, it's just, it's definitely disappointing for the viewers out there of the NHL because the playoffs are amazing and it's even better with superstars, but I still think you have that star power. We are talking locally here. Once again, Kucherov, Stamkos, Braden Point tonight. There's another guy that's a superstar. So you still have those guys, but of course the league and their fans would love to have uh, more of those stars in there. You know, playoff hockey is just something different. You know, it's different from the NFL. It's different from Major League Baseball playoffs. It's at another level. Even the NBA, it seems like it lasts forever. I could watch NHL playoffs all night long with the level of play because they step it up 100%. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and, I, and I'll be honest with you. I, I like hockey, but I'm not, a, I'm not watching it every night in the regular season. But honestly... I'm watching a game every night in the playoffs. Somebody, whether it's Winnipeg, Edmonton, whether it's Carolina, Nashville, Boston, Washington, Tampa, obviously they're here locally with Tampa Bay and, and, and uh, Florida. But I just love the, the do or die pressure that the hockey, the hockey guys have to endure going four rounds, four out of seven. They're playing every other night. There's not two and three days off between games. They play every other night. There's so many overtime games. That's what makes the hockey, to me, so much more exciting to watch than maybe the NBA. Yeah, no, it's definitely much more exciting. Uh, you don't have somebody rolling around on the ground for you know longer than a minute because he got poked in the eye. Right. Somebody gets poked in the eye in hockey uh, or they get scratched in the eye. You get some stitches, you stitch it up, and you get back out there. That's the difference. It's the physicality of the game 
for hockey compared to the NBA. Not saying, look, you like the NBA. I just grew up on a different type of NBA where you had big men, you had defense, you had physicality. I don't believe you have that anymore in that league. And that's what I love about the NHL, especially during playoff time. And what's going to be interesting to see is what Canada decides to do here. They're supposed to be making a decision June 1-ish about what they're going to do with their Canadian teams as far as if they're going to let the the U.S. teams travel to Canada or if they're going to make the Canadian teams kind of make have another semi-bubble here in the United States because you got Toronto's going to advance. you got Winnipeg still alive. So it's going to be interesting to see what the league decides to do with the Canadian teams if the border gets opened back up. What do you think is going to happen there? I don't really know. And to tell you the truth, you know, I get it. Uh, I just got off of having COVID. So, you know, it's definitely not a joke. Uh, so, yeah, it better to be safe than sorry. I think it's disappointing. It was disappointing for the fans last year to watch it in the bubble. That's why it's so great to have the fans there at Emily Arena tonight to enjoy that. And you could see John Cooper and all those players were definitely living off of that energy. And having that is definitely a home ice advantage and I'm happy for those fans. So to tell you the truth, I like to see Canada open up and I like to see those teams be let in, but if they're not, you know, again, better to be safe than sorry. I would just be disappointed if that affects home ice advantage for the Tampa Bay lightning here locally. Yeah. That's one of the, that's one of the great things that we've seen all throughout sports here in the last couple of weeks is that these different arenas around the country in the United States are opening up their, the ability to have, more than a couple thousand fans at the game. You know, you, you look at Madison Square Garden the last couple nights with the Knicks. The, the crowd has been electric in MSG with the Knicks. A great win by the Knicks tonight. They came all the way back. They were down 13 at the half. And you know the crowd was such a big part of that comeback in the in the roar. You got baseball. You had the Astros hosting the Dodgers, the kind of the, the rematch of the, of, the, of, the, of the cheating scandal down in Houston. There was a full house there. You had... You know, you got NBA playoffs out in California. You got hockey playoffs in Carolina here in Tampa with big crowds. Just your thoughts of how much a crowd can influence the atmosphere at these playoff games. Well, I tell you right now, isn't it nice to get back to a little bit of normalcy, Jason? I mean, honestly, after last year with the pandemic going on, not knowing if we were going to even have any games, not even knowing if we're going to have an NFL season, and now you start to see the fans come back in those respective leagues. So I feel like we're getting back to normal as a sports fan. I don't know about you. I have to have fans on television. I can't stand uh, those cardboard cutouts. They're just scary to me. <laughs> it's just creepy and weird. And I'm just ready to move on from it. And I tell you right now, the way the Clippers have played, going back to the NBA, <laughs> they probably deserve those uh, cardboard cutouts because they have been disappointing at home. But you can better believe that when the Lakers come home, because they're tied with uh, Phoenix, Phoenix. one there's going to be a lot more fans there for that team. So it's, it's, it's so great to talk about sports right now when last year you were trying to find things to talk about. And it's so funny. You know what the big-time sports event last year that we were talking about around this time? Tell me. A golf tournament between Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, <laughs> and I believe it was Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. Yeah. And now we're talking about the NBA. Of course, you had the NCAA before. You have hockey playoffs. And you certainly are going to get ready for the NFL season and, of course, college football. Everybody loves that. So it'll be nice to get back to normalcy. So I'm all about this. I am all about the fan 
The fan is the lifeblood of sports. And if you don't have that, it's just totally different. Hey, I agree. I agree. And most of the NFL teams have come out and announced in the last week or so, they're going to have full crowds in the fall. You know, college football, especially down here in the South and the SEC, ACC country are going to have full stadiums. So that'll be the, that'll be the next move. My only hope is that more people, the people that are kind of anti-vaccine go out and get the vaccine to help protect everybody, not just, I, we, I understand, we're not going to make this political, but I understand people have views and all that, but when you, we don't want to put people in danger at a stadium event. We don't want to have to put you in a non-vaccinated section. Get the vaccine if you plan to go to sports games, sports events, concerts, because those concerts are coming too. You're going to see some musical events coming this summer. Here in Tampa, we got a, we got an event over at Raymond James Stadium this weekend. More and more of these concerts are going to be happening. So just do the right thing and try to make everybody as safe as we can. Absolutely. And who doesn't want to see the fans? Who doesn't want to see more hockey fans watching the Tampa Bay Lightning? Who doesn't want to see more Tampa Bay Rays fans, although they're limited? A lot of people say they can't draw fans. Anyway, I certainly believe those baseball fans are going to come out uh, with the Rays and it meaning something. And then, of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I feel bad for all those teams because, really, their respective organizations missed out on all that money. They missed out on all those opportunities to have fans. And I'm just excited about seeing that home ice advantage. And once again, their respective sports leagues have their fan base back. We need that in sports. You got to have that in sports. And anybody that tells you anything different, call them crazy. Absolutely. You listen to Peter, Peter Blake of the sports web, the evolution of sports talk, radio, television, good friend, a good friend of mine over in Clearwater, Florida. We're talking, we're going to talk NHL. We're going to hit some NBA points and we're going to hit some NFL topics. That, let's go to your NBA topic, the Clippers. The biggest disappointment so far in these playoffs. They go down 0-2 to the Mavericks. Luka Don, Doncic was unbelievable last night. I watched a good bit of that game. Just your thoughts on the Clippers. Are, do they have talk, – we talked about the Lightning and championship medal. Does Paul George, Kawhi Leonard have that championship DNA? From what I watched last night – I didn't see much at all. I was not impressed with Ty Lue coaching that team, and I'm sure as hell wasn't impressed with what I saw out of Paul George. uh, Kawhi Leonard was unbelievable last night, but getting no help. And back to your comment, these guys in the NBA don't play a lick of defense. And to me, these championship teams are going to be the ones that play some defense here as we progress through the playoffs. I mean, honestly, it's a three-point game. So if you're not guarding on the perimeter, you're not guarding a guy like a Tim Hardaway Jr., who, by the way, is a free agent and is making lots of money right now with the games he's putting up for the Mavericks. If you're not able to guard on that perimeter, you're in big trouble. If you don't get over fast enough on those rotations, you're in big trouble. And right now the Clippers are in big trouble because they're not playing defense. And, yes, you have these superstars with a Leonard and, of course, a Paul George. but as a rest of the team, you know, it's either coaching. I don't know what it is. You want to root for the LA Clippers because you want <sighs> them to be winners because of the history that they've had and investing all this money. But I've never believed in super teams, Jason. And I'll tell you why, because it takes chemistry, but here are two players that have played together and yet they're not able to put together anything right now because the Mavericks clearly have one of the best young players in the Jeez. league and, and, and Dostic, uh, Donkic is his name. Is, I, yeah. Luka Doncic. Yep. Doncic. 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 And I, I'm trying to get his name right because the guy is just a mismatch nightmare. So 
I, I think if you would have told me uh, that basically right now the Mavericks would be up 2-0 over the Clippers, I would have been disappointed because I'm rooting for that L.A. team. Yeah. I don't want to see the Lakers win. I'm tired of seeing the Lakers and LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis and everybody over there doing that. I would like to see the Clippers, but I just don't think it's meant to be unless this team starts to turn it on defensively and also get some more contributions from a third player that's not Leonard or a Paul George. I'm not a fan of Paul George. I think he's the most overrated player in the NBA. He has come up small time and time again in the playoffs. Last year, he was pathetic in the in the in the bubble in Orlando. This year, he's been bad again here in game one and game two. And I don't blame Kawhi Leonard. He's hell. He had 40 plus last night. He's the he's their best player, no doubt about it. But he's getting no help. You know, I, I don't love Ty Lue as a coach. Everybody loves Ty Lue as a coach. I'm not a fan, and I sure as hell don't love uh, Paul George. I think this team will get blown up in the offseason if they go out in the first round. I think Paul George will be will be gone. It wouldn't shock me if they even traded Kawhi Leonard because Steve Ballmer, I just like you said, they've always been the stepbrother to the Lakers, and they've made all these big moves in the last couple of years to no avail. Yeah, I mean, you heard through the offseason was Doc Rivers and it was this and that, and he changed coaches. And now, you know, basically it, it's the same thing over and over again with the Clippers. So you're most likely right. Uh, they most likely are going to blow this thing up if they're, you know, out in the first round, which is disappointing. I think the series also that had potential to really turn on the Lakers and let's go to the Lakers and the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul. Yeah. You, know, you can make a case this year, Jason. Terrible. He's the MVP of the league and what he's done for that team, taking them and being the second-ranked team in the Western Conference. But when it comes to playoff time, much like Paul George, the guy is either injured or disappears. And once again, he's injured, which changes the whole focus of this series because I believe if he were uh, healthy last night, they most likely would have beat the Lakers. But instead, uh, you have LeBron stepping up. Of course, you have Anthony Davis, who to me, by the way, if you're kicking somebody on a shot, you should be suspended. I don't understand why the National Basketball <laughs> isn't suspending him besides of the favoritism that they showed LeBron and the whole uh, safety protocols. But that's yep. neither here nor there. You got to suspend that guy. But at the end of the day, when Davis is stepping up, when LeBron is stepping up, when they're playing defense and they're getting that maximum effort, they're going to be tough to beat. And it's crazy. It's unbelievable to think about Chris Paul's unluck. Whether it's I don't know if it's unlucky, if it's just age, but his history of injuries as we start a playoff series. Houston was probably going to the finals a couple years back, and he hurts his hamstring against Golden State. You know, a fluke injury here in Game One against the Lakers. Phoenix wins Game One, but he was severely compromised last night in Game Two. Is going to be compromised throughout this series. And like you said, I think Phoenix could beat LA if Chris Paul's healthy. You got Devin Booker. You got some other guys, some other pieces. And Paul doesn't have to be the number one option. He can be the facilitator. And they were going to give the Lakers all they want. I still think they're going to Phoenix will at least win another game. But without a, without a fully healthy Chris Paul, it's going to be tough to win four straight four games against the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah. You look at the Lakers and their size. Not only do you have a LeBron and a Davis, but you also have a Drummond. You also have a Gasol. And it seems like all those guys, not only when they take up that space, they're going to free up those outside shooters. And as you know, the NBA has definitely changed. If you can shoot the three, live by the three, die by the three. And of course, the Lakers were living by the three last night. And those big guys, not only can they free up 
those shooters on the outside, but also they can rebound. So they definitely have a distinct advantage over the Suns. We'll see how this series plays out. Yeah, the matchup I want to see in the Eastern Conference looks like it's going to happen. Both teams are cruising so far. I want to see Brooklyn-Milwaukee here in round two. You got the big three in Brooklyn with Harden, Durant, Kyrie Irving. You got the retooled Milwaukee team with Giannis, Drew Holiday. They've got some experience. They've got some chemistry. That's going to be a heavyweight second-round matchup in the East. You're exactly right. And you have a Chris Middleton, who seems like he's the go-to guy. And you would think that it would be the Greek freak, but, you know, Greek is not necessarily good from the perimeter. And, of course, they're going to double-team on him. I believe, even though they've only played like 10 games this year, the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the NBA world champions, and this is why. If Kevin Durant can stay healthy, if James Harden can stay healthy, if Kyrie Irving can stay healthy, and they're all on the same page, you're not even talking about Blake Griffin, who's going to guard that? Who's going to be able to beat that? And we always go back to the NBA. Who can shoot the threes? Who can drive to the bucket and 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 dig? shit out to somebody who could shoot a three that team right now if they could put it all together to me clearly jason they are the nba champions period all right well i'm gonna go i'm gonna give you a different view i got a feeling i got the one team i think that can give them a, a really tough series in the east is gonna be philadelphia with joel Embiid. you got ben simmons who's a really good defensive player you got tobias harris you got some depth you got doc rivers who's a pretty good coach so I think that's the one team, again, they don't have to beat them both. The good thing is Philly's going to only have to beat one of the two, Milwaukee or Brooklyn. And, I, and I'm still not sold that Kyrie Irving's not going to go off the deep end again before this playoff's over. They're going to be in a situation eventually where they've got to make a shot at the end of the game. Who's going to take the shot at the end of the game for the Nets? If it's a one-possession type of situation, who gets the shot? To me, that's going to be a key thing for the Nets to have to figure out. To me, it's a good problem to have because you either you're you don't go wrong with the James Harden, you don't go wrong with the Kevin Durant, and you certainly don't go wrong with the Kyrie Irving. And you can talk about all the crazy antics he has off the court. But as you remember in that series with LeBron and and of course uh, the Golden State Warriors, he hit some big shots yep. down the stretch. I don't have to tell you how big and how clutch Durant is when it comes playoff time and postseason time. So I don't think that's really a problem. I think it's a good problem to have. And at the end of the day, to me, clearly, they are the most talented team in the Eastern Conference, which, by the way, they have some teams, but it's nothing like the West. And in the West, I don't think the Lakers are going to get out of the West. I think somebody's going to clip the Lakers. I mean, you watch you watch Utah Phoenix, you got Denver, you got Portland with Damian Lillard and company. I, I just have a I just I just don't like what I'm seeing out of the Lakers outside of LeBron and, and AD. Sure, they got some good players, but I mean, and again, AD is another guy kind of like Paul George. Has he ever really, when he's had to have it, I know he, they, they won the title last year, but he's not afraid to go up and down in his play. He was terrible in game one, played much better in game two, but he's just kind of one of those guys that I'm not sure he's got the, the DNA to be that alpha male if LeBron's games, you know, if LeBron's struggling a little bit physically, if he's not playing as well, shooting the ball. Yeah, I think, look, LeBron is, it's definitely lost a little bit. He still is one of the top players in the NBA, as much as I hate to admit that. Actually, I wouldn't. I just hate the whole comparison to Michael Jordan. But at the end of the day, can we all admit that LeBron is one of the top players in the NBA? Yeah. Absolutely. Can we all admit that when Anthony Davis is motivated, that he's one of the top players in the NBA? Absolutely. So I'm never going to rule that team out, especially with those two players. You know, what it comes down to 
is uh, the other pieces, right? It comes down to a drum and it comes down to a Gasol. Dennis Schroeder. Right. He played well last night. He did. Really he played him. really well. If they can get that third scoring option for the Lakers, they yeah. are definitely scary. So I would absolutely not rule them out. In fact, I like to see the Lakers versus the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA Finals. And I'll tell you something. It wouldn't shock if the if Dallas can get through this first round with the Clippers, the way Doncic is playing, the way Tim Hardaway Jr. is shooting, that's a dangerous team because Rick Carlisle is a hell of a coach. He knows how to coach as well as anybody in that league. You got a guy like Doncic who's, a like you said, a matchup nightmare. They can shoot the ball. That's a dangerous team if they can get out of this first round. Absolutely. If they can do that, that's a matchup you want to watch because you have Doncic and you also have LeBron and you would consider those guys are going to be matched up. And that could be, you know, somewhat of the passing of the torch. A lot of people don't talk about him as a young player, but to me, he's one of the best young players, if not the best young player in the NBA right now. And he's certainly playing like it for the Mavericks. So I would love to see that series It'd be very entertaining and you're exactly right. It just comes down to the complementary parts. I love how people say, well, you got to have the superstars. Yeah, you got to have the superstars, but you also have to have the role players. You have to have the guys that can shoot the ball from the outside. If you can get that, you never know what's going to happen. So we'll see what happens in the Western Conference. And the one thing I'll give the Lakers credit for is even though they got the star power, they are the number one rated defensive team in the league. They've shown a commitment to play defense. They got the size that they've got the mental, they got the mental toughness to want to play defense. Last night they played very well defensively against Phoenix. They've shown over the course of a couple of years with Frank Vogel as the coach, they're willing to play defense. So that's the one advantage I'll give them that, that other teams and especially in the East, maybe don't have, you don't have a whole lot of defense in Milwaukee. You don't have a whole lot of defense in Brooklyn. Whereas the Lakers have shown when they need to lock it down, they can play some pretty good defense. Absolutely. Agree. All right. Let's transition to the national football league. Love it. Yes. That's your, this is your wheelhouse. You're a humongous NFL guy, Tampa Bay Buccaneer guy. Let's get to the saga in green Bay, the Aaron Rodgers saga. Just give me your general thoughts about the whole deal. What do you think is going to happen? What do you th- is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is whose fault is it? Is it the front office? Do you get rid of good Gutekunst? It's it's a mess. It's honestly a mess right now, Jason. Because here is an organization that drafts, you know, Jordan Love. They trade up for him. Of course, Aaron Rodgers admits last year that he basically dr- uh, drank himself uh, drunk, and then he's upset about you know, the the direction of this organization and a guy like a Brian Murphy and, of course, uh, the general manager, who I'm not going to even try to pronounce his name, (laughs) not drafting a a wide receiver to help him out. Instead, you know, drafting a defensive back this year, not getting him weapons that Tom Brady has. And I always go back to Tampa because this is truly the Brady effect. You look around the league, Russell Wilson asking for an offensive line, asking for more weapons. You have Aaron Rodgers asking for more. That's what these quarterbacks want. They want what Tampa Bay is going to give, and Green Bay hasn't been able to give Rodgers. In the same breath, Rodgers should have known that when he came to Green Bay, he was a part of that situation, but, you know, the shoe was on the other foot. Uh, The organization was trying to distance themselves from a Brett Favre. They let him go. You know, he didn't want to retire, went to another team, and then Rodgers eventually took over, and it was a couple years So I think Rodgers at this point has all the leverage. He's still playing at a high level. I can understand his point more than that or under understand the organization's point. And then on top of it, you hear yesterday, not only Rodgers was missing OTAs, 
but their top wide receivers were also missing the OTA. So is this an issue with Rodgers and the organization or the whole team? And if it's a whole team thing and the team has taken the side of Rodgers, then the Packers have some big time problems. And I tell you right now, the happiest people out there are Bears fans, Viking fans, and hell, I even throw it in there. Lions fans, because they actually have a chance. If Rodgers, Jason, is not in that division, oh, yeah. anybody has an opportunity because if Jordan Love could play as good as Aaron Rodgers right now, you would trade him in a heartbeat. And I yeah. really feel like the two teams in the clubhouse that will be you know, vying for Rodgers services are the Denver Broncos and eventually the Las Vegas Raiders with John Gruden. It just makes too much sense. And I tell you why the Raiders make sense. And, and I, w- I had TJ Reeves on uh, Buck sideline guy the other night. He said, well, you have, uh, you have the Hollywood actress, you have Las Vegas, and you have John Gruden, who, by the way, has a propensity of loving those veteran quarterbacks, and he would definitely love to have Rodgers. And then on top of it, you could trade Carr to the Green Bay Packers, and at least the Packers would get something in return. Yep. It's just, to me, it makes too much sense. And then you have the Broncos with John Elway, and we know the history of him loving veteran quarterbacks themselves, getting a Peyton Manning, trying a Joe Flacco, trying a Case Keenum. That necessarily hasn't worked out. Would we all admit, who wouldn't want to see Aaron Rodgers in the AFC West two times a year versus a Patrick Mahomes? I would. Absolutely. No, I agree. I, and, and I'm going to give you a little pushback on Rodgers, though, and, and we'll, as we'll continue this discussion. Devontae Adams, the, one of the top two or three receivers in football. Aaron Jones, one of the top six, seven running backs in football. You got Bakhtiari, one of the top three or four left tackles in football. You got Robert Tanyan, who's emerging as a top five or six tight end in football. They didn't, they didn't lose the games because of offense. They lose the games because defensively, they're not very good. So for everybody to say Aaron Rodgers doesn't have weapons, I don't understand that. I don't agree with that completely. I get what you're saying. You, you always want more, but they're not, not winning. They've gone 13-3 and three the last two years. That's not because of the defense, because they have enough weapons. And I understand Rodgers is a great player, and he was an MVP, but they got enough weapons on that team to, to score points. Rodgers didn't run against the Buccaneers in the championship game, should have run. He threw three, incom- two incom- three incompletions on first and goal from the eight. Well, when does Aaron Rodgers ever say, I need to play better a little bit in the clutch moments? He's one in four all-time in championship games. When is it ever, it's my fault. It's never, that never comes out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth. You're exactly right. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you. One in five in NFC championship games. Of course, to me, the coaching decision to go for a field goal instead of put it in the MVP's hands makes no sense. But can you imagine if you drafted another wide receiver, how much pressure you take off of him in that offense? And if you have Aaron Rodgers and he is an MVP and he's still getting you to the NFC Championship game, why are you drafting his hair apparent instead of getting him more weapons to make that team better. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. I think the I think the biggest issue is not that they did not that they drafted Jordan Love, but they didn't consult with him prior to saying, "Hey Aaron, we really like this guy and there's if, if for some reason he follows us, we might take him." He didn't get consulted on the hiring of Matt LaFleur. It was a, "Hey, we're taking care of that. Don't worry about it." That's the part I think he's most frustrated about is the lack of communication between 
Mark Murphy, Gutenkunst, and Aaron Rodgers on some of these bigger decisions. That's what I think most of this is about. I think you're exactly right. I think it's a pride issue. I also think that Rodgers throughout his career has been very sensitive, maybe sensitive, uh, overly sensitive, yep. if you will. Um, but at the end of the day, you're exactly right. You have a Tom Brady who was consulted about a Kyle Trask, who has been consulted and asked about a Rob Gronkowski and an Antonio Brown. And he's got, you know, their feelings. The organization is consulting him. I think Rodgers would like to have the same respect and he doesn't. And that is his main point. He wants to go to an organization that basically is not going to be like the Patriots where you take me for granted. No, I want to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to roll out that red carpet, consult me, do everything. Woo me, baby. Give me that wine, wine and dine me, woo me like the Bucs did. That's what Rodgers wants. He wants to be loved, and he's not getting loved right now by the Packers organization. And if you listen, Jason, uh, to, you know, Wisconsin Sports Talk Radio, right now they want Rodgers' head, and it's a shame. And, and, and you made a great point. The, if the Packers do decide to trade Aaron Rodgers, and remember, folks, June 1 is the first – is a big date because that's when the salary cap hit can be split up over a couple years. So the salary cap hit to the Packers, if they did trade him, would not be as significant as it would be if they trade him before June 1. But they're not trading him into the NFC. If they trade him, it's he's, he's getting traded out west. Oh, at Las Vegas, Denver, to me, you're – like you make great points. And I think Las Vegas would be the leader in the clubhouse because they can get a Derek Carr back in return who can be a serviceable starter for the next couple of years as well as get some draft picks. And like you said, John Gruden's favorite quarterback is his next quarterback. It's not the guy that's in the building. It's the next guy that he's thinking about. And to me, that's star power. John Gruden, Las Vegas, Aaron Rodgers, that would be a home run hit for the Las Vegas franchise and the NFL if Aaron Rodgers gets moved. Uh, Gruden is like a man that goes into a bar, has a wife, and has a wandering eye. That's what he's like when it comes <laughs> to quarterbacks. And I'll tell you right now, there's nobody that Gruden has to answer to besides himself. He has yep. a contract. You sign him for, what, $10 million a year. You got another four or five years. Look, uh, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen with this Raiders organization if they're ever going to make the playoffs. They had some opportunities, flashes of brilliance, if you will, some talent. So at the end of the day, the longer this goes, the more I think Gruden uh, gets a little bit desperate. That organization gets desperate. And he says, you know what? We got to go for it. Let's go for it. Let's get Aaron Rodgers. Speaking of adding weapons, one Julio Jones came out a couple of days ago on the, on the Undisputed show with Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless, and says, I'm out of here in Atlanta. Is Green Bay an option? Is New England an option? I've heard Tennessee, his his relationship with some of the guys in Tennessee. Again, where do you think of Julio Jones? Again, after June 1, the salary, salary cap hit is a lot less for the Falcons if they do trade him. Where do you think a guy like Julio Jones ends up? Because from all indications, he's going to get traded from Atlanta. How weird was this to see, Jason, on national television? <laughs> And I'm not, look, I'm not the biggest Shannon Sharp fan because of the way he thinks about the Bucks and Brady, how he right. ruled out Brady, said he's never going to be able to do this and that. And, of course, this team proved him wrong. But how weird is it to have that call on TV? And the Falcons have to be seething right now with Jones saying what he wants. Uh, basically, what you hear is they asked him, uh, Jones asked the Falcons before the draft if they could trade him. 
They want a first round pick now with him coming out, you know, how much value does he really have? And then on top of it, you know, missing so many games, only playing nine games. I believe the new England Patriots should be the front runner here. If he wants to truly play with the Cam Newton, if you want to give Newton and you believe he's your quarterback, and I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. The more weapons you can give him, the better you feel to me, the Patriots are in the clubhouse. They should make that trade. I'm not sure what the Falcons are going to get after those comments. They want a first. I could see a second or third round pick, but you got to get something for them. And I don't think there's any movement on that unless after June 1st because of the salary cap implications. Yeah, and Atlanta is, from all indications, Atlanta is in salary cap hell. So they're almost have to trade Julio because they're in such bad shape as an organization from a salary cap perspective. And again, I heard, I heard Tennessee get popped up because – Arthur Smith used to was the OC in Tennessee. They, he and Vrabel know each other really well. So that's a fit with him and eight. He could be a number two to AJ Brown. They need some help at wide receiver. They lost some guys this offseason. But you're right. The New England Patriots, and I don't think Cam Newton's going to be the quarterback there very long. I, don't I think by week five or week six after the Buccaneers come through Foxborough, I think you're going to see Mac Jones sooner rather than later in Foxborough. And that'd be a great addition to that offense for Mac Jones. You're exactly right, and I think Jones is going to be that quarterback eventually. Look, 77% completion percentage at Alabama, 41 touchdowns, four interceptions. I don't know why so many people were down on him besides of his athleticism, but the last time I checked, Brady just won a Super Bowl, and he doesn't have any athleticism, supposedly. He was a six-round pick. You know, you can win with either or, but at the end of the day, you have to have a quarterback that's able to throw from the pocket and that's what Jones has been able to show at Alabama. Uh, Nick Saban knows Bill Belichick. Belichick knows Saban. So he knows all about this kid. Eventually, I believe Jones is going to take over uh, with all the moves the Patriots made. But we'll see. Uh, with all that being said, at the end of the day, why would the Falcons not try to trade Matt Ryan in the offseason? I get it, he has a big-time deal. And then on top of it, why not try to draft a young quarterback like a Justin Fields instead of, instead of a Kyle Pitts? who, you know, basically is masquerading as a tight end, but really is a wide receiver. So if you trade a Jones, you still have a Pitts, you still have a Ridley, you still have a Russell Gage. They have a plethora of weapons on that offense. So you're going to be okay. But at the end of the day, you could have also got a young quarterback if you were going to basically destroy this team. And you feel like if you're going to trade a Julio Jones, you're kind of in rebuilding mode, right? I'm going to give you a scenario. Let me, let me know what you think. This would solve two problems for both those franchises. Would you trade Julio Jones to the Green Bay Packers and include Jordan Love in the trade back to Atlanta with some draft picks? That way you solve the Atlanta problem, you solve the Green Bay problem of Jordan Love being there, and you acquire Julio Jones to give your boy Aaron Rodgers some more quote-unquote help. Would that not be a trade of those of Love and Julio that solves a lot of problems for both those teams? Uh, that would be easy, but I just don't see that happening. I don't think the Falcons are going to trade him within uh, the NFC conference. I don't see it at all. They don't want Jones basically staying healthy and coming back to bite them. On top of it, you feel like the Packers in love. That's your future quarterback. So why would you trade your future quarterback? I just don't think the Rodgers situation is going to work out. I don't buy the whole fact of, you know, paying him more money and he'll come back. This is more deeper than that. There's a lot of feelings being hurt. There's a lot of things being said, unless those guys in the front office are basically let go. 
I can't see Rodgers playing for the Green Bay Packers. I've been wrong before. I just don't see it happening. I think that relationship uh, is, uh, is, is, is not going to be repairable. I got you. Let's hit you with one more topic. We'll get you out of here. Yep. OTA season started. Mini camps are going. What are your thoughts here in Tampa? We saw, we heard reports yesterday in Tampa. OTAs b- began over at one buck place with Bruce Arians. Brady, Gronkowski, Godwin, Cambrate were literally a half a mile down the street at Legends Field where the Yankees have their spring training games working out on the in the outfield at, at one Legends Field, not at one buck place, thrown with by themselves, not with the team. What are your thoughts of these of all the players around the league saying, I'm not going to the facility. I'm we're gonna go practice over here on our own. I don't know what to think, but I understand both sides of it. I get the team wants, you know, to have the OTAs and everything like that. They want to have all the organized activities, if you will. I also understand the player's point of view from the aspect of, look, they did all these Zoom meetings last year. They didn't have a lot of crucial injuries, if you will, the level of play of football. So why do we have to do this this year? I understand you're still in the pandemic and everything is trying to get back to normal again, if you will. So to me, look, as long as somebody doesn't have a big injury, knock on wood, uh, and I think I was surprised by Brady being out there, but of course, you know, Brady's a gamer. He's going to do everything he can coming off that big time knee injury. As long as nobody's hurt and everybody's participating, I don't have any problem with it. I don't know where to think. I'm kind of in the middle at this point. I think players know their bodies. I think, you know, having that practice, we saw that last year, how much of an impact it was. And even with all that being said, Brady still admitted to not knowing the offense. So really, at the end of the day, I feel like it's Tom Brady. He's the greatest of all time. He's going to know his body. Again, knock on wood, hopefully there's no big-time injuries. I understand both sides of the equation. I'm just glad with all that talk that basically it's kind of like summer here in Florida. It's really hot. It's 90 degrees humidity. That basically is a reminder that summer's right around the corner. And when players start to practice, that means the NFL season is also right around the corner. All right, Pete. So I'm, gonna, I'm Pete. I'm going to ask you on the way out. What are you doing Memorial? It's coming Memorial Day weekend coming up. You're going to be out there sunbathing at Clearwater Beach, styling and profiling like the Nature Boy. I know you're a big wrestling fan. You're going to be out there styling and profiling Clearwater Beach this weekend. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to take my dog out. In fact, I took my dog out the other day to Honeymoon Island, and I swear. The guy, he's uh, 70, 75 pounds. He's a Catahoula, Louisiana hunting dog uh, with a Dalmatian. I'm pulling him out there, and he's acting like I'm dragging him by the hair. And it's so embarrassing because you have all these people looking at it, and they're like, you're killing this dog. And I'm like, no, my dog is just scared. Wait till I get him in the water. It's the first time at the beach. He gets into the water. He starts swimming. We're out there for a couple hours. He's just loving it, doggy paddling all over the place. So I think I'm definitely – Got to take advantage of this great weather and get out to the beach because I need some sun. All right, Peter, tell everybody one more time where they can find the sports web, the evolution of sports talk, the couple different platforms. Give us, give us a little plug as we head out. Absolutely. It's the evolution of sports talk television on Monday and Friday nights at nine o'clock on the notoriety sports network. And of course I love St. Pete all on Facebook. Definitely catch YouTube. If you want to find me there, Uh, Go to my YouTube, which is the sports web. And again, check out Notoriety Sports Network. And I love St. Pete. I'm your host, Peter Blake, giving you something to think about.
Yeah, Peter does a great job, man. He has a call-in component of the show, too. You can call in the show while it's live streaming, live on the air. You can talk your opinion. You can you can submit your comments online to Peter, and he reads them all. I do, He does a great job. I really appreciate you, you getting me on your show. And, Peter, I really appreciate you coming on the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great weekend, my man, and we'll talk real soon. All right, let's do it again. You got it. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.